Amen. Amen. So good. So good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that we get to celebrate Christmas all month long. Thank you for the amazing gifts and talents that are available to us uh, through just the amazing people that serve in this church. Lord God, we're so thankful, Lord. And so bless the youth as they head out. <laughs> They're making all kinds of great noise. Lord, bless them as they go to their class. And we just pray that you would speak powerfully to them, ministering to them, we pray, Lord. Thank you so much for what you're going to do today as we open up the scripture to Luke chapter 2. And as we continue to study and um, consider the one, this wonderful holiday that we're in. So we give it to you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, I really just want to hang out and chat today. <laughs> this is really what I just I want to do. I, we've got our friends Daniel and Solvay Kinda in. Where are they out here? Are you guys in here? There were, where'd they go? First, oh, they were here first service. I just saw them second service. Anyway, they're back from Greenland. And then Seth D's visiting for, for he's been gone for the last three years. Where have you been living? Tennessee? Michigan. Michigan. I was so close. You started, did you start out in Tennessee? You did. Okay, good, good, good. Well, anyway, welcome. This is Ron D's uh, son. Welcome from Michigan. It, it just There have been so many great opportunities just to see people, to love on people. Yesterday, we had our volunteer appreciation day at Banner Coffee, and about 100 people showed up. We've got about 300 visitors in the church, um, but it was a good... What did I say? Man, I can't get my words out today. First service... My, they were laughing at me on the front row because I kept saying the wrong thing. Yes, 300 volunteers is what it takes. They were once visitors, and now they're volunteers. <laughs> That's called a recovery right there. So anyway, anyway, but we just had a wonderful time for a couple hours at the coffee shop, just hanging out and talking. So often on Sunday morning, everybody's just busy, and it's hard to get some really heartfelt conversations going, and so we did that yesterday. And so next year, if you are a volunteer, if you're a visitor today, you can volunteer and be invited to that event that is next year. How's that? All right, sounds good. No more uh, mi mixing up the words here. The Wonder of the Greatest Gift Series, part two. Part two, as I was driving in San Louis yesterday, a couple days ago, um, at Mountain Brook Church, on their mountain in front of their church, there's these eight-foot letters I think Tom said they're, or uh, I think, I think uh, Jeff said they're eight-foot letters that spell out the word wonder. And uh, so it's kind of their theme as well, our friends over at Mountain Brook. And so um, we're talking about the wonder of the shepherds and angels today as we unpack Luke chapter 2. It's a, it's a wondrous thing what happened when the angels of the Lord, when the angel of the Lord appeared and communicated God's plan to the people in the earth and uh, so it's fun to, to re re refresh ourselves in that truth and then find some wonder today in the 21st century, refreshing ourselves in what God did for us and sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Hey, leading up to our passage today in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and following, there's a verse uh, right prior to verse 7. It says this, and she gave birth. She, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. As I was kind of talking with Jim up here about his giving moment, and I was asking him questions about, hey, what happens 
when things don't go as planned, when we're doing our very best to honor the Lord. And we see in this very scenario that this is indeed the Lord being born in the earth, and when he arrives, there is no room for him. <laughs> so God is not altogether unfamiliar with the challenges that we face in life. So it's my opportunity today to, to invite you to make room in your life for the Christ child, for Jesus the Lord. And not just a kind of in an, in an unfamiliar way, but a very familiar and intimate way, make room in your lives for Jesus. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. It says this, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. This is kind of a, a theme, especially around this event, the birth of Christ. Zechariah had the angel of the Lord appear to him, letting him know that his wife would be giving birth to a son. They were both older and beyond the childbearing age, but God had a plan. Whatever the obstacle may be, all you, can, all you need to do is say, but God. You might say, I'm too old. But God, right? I'm too young. I don't have what it takes. But God, right? So I love that we can throw in that phrase and with that phrase understand the power that is available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Zechariah, Mary, and now the shepherds all we're very fearful at the sight of the angel of the Lord. And I think it's a proper response. This is the, the angel of the Lord. This angel Gabriel had been in the very presence of God. And so he carried with him some awesome uh, kind of residue left over from just being in the presence of the Lord, besides the fact that he's an angel of the Lord. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I think it's a righteous thing, a very good thing when we see something of God moving in the earth, we see something of God moving in our lives, and we've got this, this fearful awe, like, God, what are you up to? Kind of capturing the wonder of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, God, you're up to something, not just then, but now. Not just then, but forever. You're you're, you're weaving together your plan and purposes in the earth, and we get to be a part of it. So there was this fearful awe. But the angel had good news, and so this is what he said. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So much in keeping with God's plan to use ordinary people like Mary and Joseph the message of the birth of Christ was communicated to lowly, sometimes even despised shepherds. God is no respecter of persons. Number one, the shepherds and angels had a front row seat. As we consider the wonder of the shepherds and angels, we begin to see in this text that they had a front row row seat to what God was up to. Let's see how that panned out for them. The shepherds and angels had a front row seat to the long-awaited events surrounding the birth of Christ. This is significant. It's significant because the people of God had been waiting for hundreds of years for these events to unfold. And so now that it's unfolding, these 
Shepherds, these lowly shepherds, had a front row seat to what was happening. This was a very big deal. The people of God had been waiting for a very long time. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. It says this, this salvation. And salvation would be the culmination of the life of Christ. He said this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered, there's that word again, they wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told, the prophets were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. (laughs) And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. And so the prophets of old spoke about it and wrote about what God was planning to unfold, what God had planned to redeem humanity to himself. And so they wrote about it hundreds of years earlier. They were excited to see what God would do, but it wouldn't happen in their time. It would happen in God's time. The angels themselves are eagerly watching as these things unfold. They're they're eagerly excited watching these things happen. It's important for us to realize that we are privy to things the prophets of old longed to see and understand. So this, you know, is a message that we read often, especially this time of year, we read about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and how things unfolded. And we can, if we're not careful, we can take it lightly. But God has done something wonderful and supernatural such that we, we, if we fully understand, we can never actually take it lightly. It actually calls us to some kind of decision. So we're privy to things the prophets of old long to see and understand. We're privileged to know and understand understand things God had planned long ago. Again, this is a very big deal, and it's why we celebrate with such focus and enthusiasm every December. The events of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection are not just interesting historical facts to be impressed by. The events of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection are they're actually life shifting, destiny-altering, history-changing events that people will either fully understand and embrace or will, on the surface, lightly celebrate but never altogether submit to. I read a story out of this book by Robert J. Morgan, titled On This Day in Christian History. I read a story out of it last week, and I'd like to do it again this week because it helps to communicate and to illustrate some truths that we're trying to get across today. So again, the events of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection are life-shifting, destiny-altering, history-changing events that people will either fully understand and embrace or, on the surface, only lightly celebrate, but never altogether submit to. We see a story here dated December 25th, 496. It says this, not all who 
sing Christmas carols are Christians. Superficial sentiment is sometimes substituted for genuine faith. Take Clovis, for example. After the breakup of the Roman Empire, disorder reigned. Anarchy prevailed. 15-year-old Clovis inherited a small kingdom in the corner of Gaul. And now King Clovis seized adjoining lands, united Gaul, and moved his capital to Paris and founded the nation of France. In 493, Clovis married a Christian. When Queen Clothhild wanted to baptize their newborn son, Clovis agreed. But when the child died in his baptismal robe, Clovis blamed the Christian God. When a second child grew ill following baptism, Clothhild prayed earnestly. The queen prayed earnestly. The child recovered, and the king was impressed. When Clovis was 30, he was routed in battle. Jesus! Jesus Christ, he crawled out. The queen says you are the son of God and can give victory to those who hope in you. The king called out, declaring what he had heard the queen say. He said, give me victory and I will be baptized. The tide turned and Clovis, true to his word, entered the cathedral of Reims on December 25th, 496. I love what the priest told him. This is something that is applicable to each and every one of our lives. The priest said, worship what you once burned and burn what you worshiped. The priest understood something about new life in Christ. It was a life transformation that was available to the people if they would just kneel and submit to the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not the results, this commitment to Christ. It's not because we've said the right words or prayed the right prayer, but it's actually a life transformation thing that takes place in our lives. Worship what you once burned and burn what you worshiped. On that day, 3,000 troops followed Clovis in baptism. The army marched alongside a river where priests, chanting the baptismal formula, dipped branches into the stream and flung the water, supposedly making them Christians. This was a momentous day in church history, for it was the first of the great mass conversions that turned Europe into a Christian continent. Little change was detected in Clovis or his troops who were as pagan as ever. Apparently, viewing Christ merely as a war god who ensured them victory. But the stage was set for many genuine believers who spread the message of the babe of Bethlehem throughout emerging Europe. The events of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection are life shifting destiny-altering, history-changing events that people will either fully understand and embrace or will on the surface slightly celebrate but never altogether submit to. What is your response to this history-altering event? What is your response? What is this event in the 
information and the revelation about this event doing in you? How is it changing you? How is Jesus changing you? What will Jesus change in you as you listen to this message? The shepherds and angels had a front row seat. And we're going to see how this front row seat radically changed their lives. They were changed. Number two, the shepherds and angels had the proper response. The shepherds and angels had the proper response to the long-awaited events surrounding the birth of Christ. Many have an improper, an altogether improper response. But when we've truly encountered Christ, we are called to account and we are called to decision. What will we do about this information, about this revelation, about this truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's take a look at uh, and read Luke chapter 2, verses 11 and following and see what happened. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, get this, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The proper response is always praise. The proper response to this revelation, to this truth, to this life-giving event in history, the proper response is always glory, glory to God. And it doesn't just uh, look like us shouting glory to God, but it's a decision that says, in all of my life, in all of my words and thoughts and deed, I will indeed give glory to God. It's sometimes easier to shout glory to God. Altogether different and more difficult is living out that same statement where we declare that every part of my life is going to give glory to God. The proper response to the long-awaited events surrounding the birth of Christ is nothing short of glorious praise and adoration. Now, we can go through the, no, uh, go through the motions like King Clovis, or we can respond like Mary and Joseph, like the shepherds and angels, with a, a fearful expectation, excited and submitted to God as they anxiously witnessed God's plan unfold. Will you be like King Clovis or will you be like the shepherds and angels? What is your response? Is it proper or is it altogether improper? Is it proper in that your response is glorious praise and adoration. I challenged Jim while he was up here talking about giving. Jim, what happens when things go sideways? The response, maybe in the moment, was heartache and disappointment. But we see the fruit of his response over the course of his next 20 years. We see that God is glorified. So he's not just saying glory to God, he's living glory to God, and that everything he's deciding to do is going to glorify God. That's the proper response to this history-altering, life-changing event that happened 2,000 years ago. So 
is your response temp, uh, proper and that your response is glorious praise and adoration? Or is it improper, invoking nothing more than a passive nod and a courteous, detached gesture? Only you can answer that question for yourself. It may look different on the outside than it actually is on the inside. So only you know your heart, you and the Lord. And so I would just encourage you to check your heart. Check your heart and check your response to what is going on around this holiday season. Sometimes we're like, oh, it's Christmas again. There's so much work and so much to be done. But if we can just change our mind about this holiday season and say, you know what? The whole world is celebrating Jesus. We did that. We announced the parade here last weekend and um, they wanted us to say holiday parade. And they wanted us to say that this was the 18th annual holiday parade. But it's not the 18th annual holiday parade. If they want it to be a holiday parade, then it's the first annual holiday parade. Because for 17 years, it's been the Christmas parade. So on my notes, I marked out holiday. They may not invite me back next year. It doesn't matter. I have my microphone and my opportunity and try to do it with as much grace as possible. But I said, welcome to the 18th annual Christmas parade. People need to know what this holiday is all about. It is about Jesus. And so while the world may want to dilute that fact and that reality, the truth is we are celebrating Jesus. And so in this celebration of Jesus, let's tell the truth about who this Jesus is. That's our proper response. It's not a passive nod, a courteous, detached gesture. It's an all-in. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are celebrating his birth. And so I'm going to say, Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'm going to say, let's focus on Jesus. So what is your response to this message this year, to this text this year? What is your response? Is it tiresome to be going through this again, or is it an opportunity to say, glory to God in the highest in my in the way that I communicate it out of my mouth and in the way that I'm living it in my life. What is, what is your response? The shepherds and angels had a proper response. <laughs> they had a front row seat and they had a proper response. How do we know that they had a proper response? Well, we just read the text. Number three, the shepherds and angels had to get up close and personal. So they hear about what's going on. But well, they're not content to just hear about what's going on. They got to get an up close and personal experience. They got to see it with their very own eyes. They're not content to keep what's going on at a distance. They need to get to where this is going on. <laughs> Verse 15, Luke 2, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's, let us go over to Bethlehem. Like for 700 years, the people knew that the Messiah, Christ the Lord, would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, around the same time that Isaiah wrote, he wrote, Micah wrote, this is where the Messiah would be born. 
And so the people of God understood, and so they knew that when the angel of the Lord appeared, that there was some truth to what the angel of the Lord was saying, and they had to get up close and personal. This event was in the works from eternity past. It wasn't some flippant thing, this no big deal thing. It had been in the works for millennium. The, this verse isn't on the screen, but I plugged this in this morning. It's Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Paul wrote this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted and beloved. <laughs> this has been part of God's eternal plan, and now it's unfolding. And the shepherds and angels, they get a front row seat. They've got a proper response, and they're glorifying God in their response. They're so excited to see what God is doing. Why? Because it's been passed down to them. The Jews have been passing down these stories. They've been reading the scrolls. The prophets have been writing about this for hundreds of years. And so now it's happening. There are many prophecies in the Bible about the birth of Christ. Let's just take a look at a few more besides the fact that he was to be born in Bethlehem. Number one, we're told that Christ would be filled with power with peace and the spirit from birth. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we see in Isaiah 61, 1, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim Good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release and release from the darkness, uh, from darkness for the prisoners. How was this fulfilled? Christ Himself was the fulfillment. Christ declared to his listeners that he was the fulfillment of this prophecy. He declared the Spirit of the Lord, Luke 4:18. The Spirit, this is Jesus declaring, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Jesus knew that he was here through the incarnation as God became man, born of a virgin, lived, preached, witnessed, died, resurrected. He knew that his purpose on earth was clear going back hundreds and thousands of years, and he was here to do the work of his father. Another prophecy, we were told that Christ would be born, that he'd be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, we hear it all the time, the virgin. The, a virgin gave birth, was born of the Holy Spirit, was pregnant of the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. It's never happened up to that point, and it's never going to happen again. 
The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. Fulfillment, the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph and communicated this prophecy to him. The virgin, your betrothed, your fiance, the one with whom you've had no relations, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1, 23. What did Joseph do when he heard the message? He had a proper response. <laughs> he did as the angel directed him. He could see that God was on the move, that he was doing something that he had never, ever, ever done before. And Joseph had the faith to agree with God's plan. It's not always easy to agree with God's plan. Now, Joseph was betrothed. They weren't married. They were engaged, and they hadn't had relations. And so now his betrothed, his fiance, was going to be with child. Obviously so. You can only hide that for a moment, right? And so neighbors and skeptics would be critical, judgmental, harsh. But Joseph decided, I'm going to do what the angel of the Lord, what God has called me to do. Often what God asks us to do is altogether very difficult. What will we do? Will we say no because it's difficult or will we say yes because it's God? If we say yes because it's God, then God will give us the grace and the strength and the ability to do what he's asked us to do. Will it be altogether easy? It's never altogether easy. If God's asking you to do something, there's going to be some risk involved. There's going to be some hard commitments that need to be made. There's going to be some decisions that need to be followed through on. The stuff that, asks, that God asks us to do is requires supernatural grace and faith. And we say, God, I, I don't know how I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. I'm sure Joseph had those thoughts. God, I don't understand why you picked me. Couldn't you pick someone else? I don't know what this is going to look like. I'm a bit embarrassed, insecure, uncertain. But yes, Lord, I will do what you asked me to do. And so now we've been talking about Joseph for the last couple thousand years. He's an example of godliness and faithfulness. When Joseph heard this message, he did as the angel of the Lord directed him. Another prophecy, we were told that he would be worshipped, that Jesus would be worshipped by shepherds. Prophecy, Psalm 72.9, May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. Fulfillment. <laughs> the angels came to the shepherds to tell them the good news of Christ's birth. And they hurried to find him and worship him. We see that right here in Luke chapter 2 in our passage today. Let's pick it up in verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things. Uh, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So the shepherds and the angels, they got a front row seat. 
man, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I long for front row seats to what God is doing. But you know how we get a front row seat to what God is up to and to what God is doing? We got to be available. We're never going to get a front row seat and experience what people of faith experience unless we're people of faith, unless we're like Joseph, willing to, to take a hard road for Jesus. But when we're willing to take a hard road for Jesus, we get this front row experience. And then we get to demonstrate a proper response. What's the proper response? Yes, Lord. <laughs> Praise and adoration for your plans and purposes. Lord, yes, in my words and in my actions, I will praise you. I will adore you in the way that I respond. It will be difficult. People will doubt. People will wonder. People may criticize and people may get after us, but the proper response is always, yes, Lord. Praise and adoration. The shepherds and angels Boy, at hearing this, they had to get up close and personal. When you hear this message or when you hear about anything about what God might be doing, do you want to keep it at a distance because you don't want to be or not compromised, you don't want to be inconvenienced by it? You're like, hey, I'm glad that's happening there, but I kind of want to keep God at a distance because at a distance, God's a little bit manageable in my life. So do we want to keep God at a manageable distance or do we want to just open up our hearts and arms and just bring him in close? And then in doing so, allowing him to bring us in close. Because it's in doing that that we get upfront, first-hand experiences. We get to respond properly and we get to run toward God and what he is doing. And it's those experiences that keep us excited about Jesus. When we're keeping God at a distance, we just grow cold toward the things of God. We grow lukewarm in our response to God. But when we have the proper response and run to him, wonderful and supernatural things take place. I love this last verse that we're going to look at today, verse 21, Luke 2. It says, at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. <laughs> so we're seeing things play out. The angel of the Lord communicated what would happen. It happened. <laughs> Listen, when the angel of the Lord, when, when the Lord says in his word, when the Lord communicates to us something that will happen, it will happen. He is a truth-telling, faithful, immutable, unchanging God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The full weight of our faith can be put in him. And so we can trust that what he said will unfold and that we get to live in the beautiful fruitfulness of that trust in that life where we are saying yes, Lord, to everything that he's called us to at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. With that, let's go ahead and stand up. With that, we're going to go ahead and worship some more. And with that, we're going to, I pray, have the proper response, not just today, but every day, every day until he returns 
to get us. Amen. Lord, thank you for who you are. God, I pray that in my own spirit I'd be stirred up more than I already am, Lord. Stirred up to get in the fat middle of what you're doing, humbly accept what you want to do, and then just live out the rest of my life experiencing the fruit of that kind of decision, that kind of life. I love you. We love you, Lord, as a church. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.